Hello and welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a movie, we review it, we talk about it, we discuss some of the ideas and themes it throws up. And as always we'll end with our recommendations for further reading, further watching, inspired by the film of the week. Uh, before we kick off with film proper, we'd like to have a little catch up on what we've been watching or uh, reading or listening to recently. So Sam, what's been on, on the on the cards for the last week or so? Uh, well... I have to say I've been quite busy the past week. I haven't done a lot of watching. Um, there's something I didn't mention last time. I will give a quick shout out to something I've seen in the past few months is the new Jungle Book, which was interesting. And I'm not entirely sure I liked it, but I didn't. I I didn't. It it was better than I expected in lots of ways. So it it was it, overall it was a good experience. I was pleased pleased with what they did with it, even though I had several reservations. Fair enough, fair enough. How about you? You've been away for a week. What have you? been I enjoying? have been away for a week on holiday, um, but also we uh, I have been quite uh, busy at the cinema. So we've been to see in the last week. We went to see Warcraft and we went to see the Nice Guys. Right. Warcraft obviously is the. Uh, the film of the video game and it's good it was fun but it's ultimately forgettable I'll never see that film again but it was a fun two hours while I watched it The Nice Guys which is Shane Black Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe yeah I've heard good things about this 70s PI and that was very good it's very Shane Black so if you've seen Lethal Weapon if you've seen his work Kisses Bang Bang it's very much in his wheelhouse Right. He isn't stretching himself with it particularly, but Ryan Gosling is very good in his comedic role. The interplaying him and his daughter and Russell Crowe is very good, so I would heartily recommend that if you're if you're looking for to see. The only other thing that's worth mentioning is that I, under guidance from from my wife, rewatched the British film Lesbian Vampire Killers. <laughs> now. I know what you're thinking. This is one of Rob's really weird, bizarre, obscure cult films. No, I'm thinking this is one of Sarah's really weird, bizarre cult films. You say that. It stars James Corden. Yeah. And the guy who was in... What's that? What's that? They had a show together on BBC. Yeah, where... Mount Boyce's Fate from Gavin and Stacey. Gavin and Stacey. So, yes, yeah, those two are the lead, lead stars. It's very much two friends go to the woods, discover there's a nasty in the woods and have to vanquish it. It's got um, McGann in it as a uh, as a violent, sweary priest, Paul McGann. And basically they discover that there's a, a, a troop of lesbian vampires um, haunting the woods nearby and are sort of forced to dispatch them with a uh, suitably phallic sword. It is bizarre and weird, and Sarah loves it more than I can understand, but it was far better than I remembered it being from my first watching. Right. Yeah. Um, Sarah just watching the room is giving me a look of I can't believe you're talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so lesbian vampire killers. It's it's not as bad as it sounds. Right. Okay. Good. But this week we are sort of doing the second part of our uh, our new method of uh, the prestige, which is talking about these film series and these film franchises. Mm. So we are this week looking at the bizarrely given its name, the 1998 film. Blues Brothers 2000. Watch out, mm-hmm, you know I got it. On 
February 6th from Universal Pictures. The Blues are back. I'm getting the band back together. The last time they played anywhere, they were charged with grand larceny, felonious motor vehicle assault, and damages in excess of $20 million. And you are asking me if I want to join this band? I could show you all the moves. My God! So Blues Brothers 2000 picks up the story of Blues Brothers you know, 20 years on with uh, Elwood Blues coming out of prison to find that his brother, Juliet Date Blues, has passed away, as Belushi had in the engine years, and going on a, a mission to reunite the band. Um, and he meets various new people, various old people. Most of the original cast come back. Um, with the addition of John Goodman playing uh, Mighty Mac Mattia, who is like a barman who joins up. And you've got um, J. Evan Bonifant as Buster, a young ward of the state who is charged to Elwood to mentor. And Joe Morton as their half-brother. And it follows very much a similar sort of tread of the first one, going from sort of musical number to musical number, going from a more a road movie with music. Hmm. So, Sam, I'm intrigued to know what you thought of, of the, the much belated sequel to Blue Brothers. Well, this is the thing. that This is one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast. Because when I first saw this, I completely dismissed it. Um, I mean, so much so that I saw it a good 10, 15 years ago and forgot that I had seen it. Um, but on a second viewing, and in the context of the first film, and this is a good thing given that we're doing franchises at the moment, it makes much more sense. Um, now, I don't want to say this is an amazing film. It's not. It's certainly not. There are lots of things to say that are wrong with it. Um, but I will say that this is... As I said, a much better film than I first gave it credit for. Um, and some of these, some some of the ways in which it goes together with the first film are the ways in which it mirrors the first film. Um, and I don't just mean sort of recurring cast or recurring narrative, sort of putting the band back together sort of narrative. Um, I mean things like the it's a very subtle way in which um, there's an interaction between Dan Aykroyd and Jay and Bodifant um, towards the beginning when Buster pulls out a cigarette and tries to light it from the car lighter. And when Dan Aykroyd takes that from him and throws the lighter out the window, it's an echo of um, John Belushi doing the same thing. Mm. Um and it's it's an echo of that it's I like the way that it seemed to me that was done again, but with this time much more of a sense of loss um and that's what i what I saw in this film um it wasn't just a remake remake along the same lines um cashing in on the success of the first it was very much, certainly in that in that moment where um, that boy throws a lighter out the window, it was it was uh, it was a, it seemed like a meditation on on this loss of 
John Belushi and the way in which Dan Aykroyd had had kind of, kind of come to deal with it, um, and maybe this film was was him trying to deal with that with that loss. Fair enough. That's uh, that's certainly a deeper reading of it. I was taking of it certainly. From my point of view, I, I'm not massively keen on on 2000. I think that it has some amazing songs in it. Mm. I think that it's worth noting that the car, the musical cast behind the lead cast in this is very, very impressive. It's it's certainly more impressive than the first film, which was impressive in its own right. Mm. Especially the end band, shall we say, which Louise Young Gator Boys, which is as super a super group as I've ever seen. Yeah, it was a oh, this person's in it, and now there's Eric Clapton. Yes, um, and I think that there's there's a, a lot to be said for that in the film. I think the music is very good. I think the film, I would say, it falls apart in the world of what I I'd call the say what everyone calls it, the plot. I think the plot is what lets it down. Mm. I think that they somehow try to tread the line, as you said, between being homage to the original there are certainly throwbacks to the original with new stuff thrown in but in my mind it doesn't quite gel across those two things the inclusion of Buster as the kids there's always a risky move bringing kids into um, like a franchise like this and I don't think it works I think that John Goodman was very good as Mighty Macrateer and Joe Morton who's a fine actor did very well as the brother but it just didn't coalesce for me. And I think the thing that I felt the most, felt keenly, was what I describe as the loss of edge of the film. The original one is, whilst we discuss how family-friendly it is, it still has a certain edge. It has mm. a certain grime to it. If you look at where Elwood was sleeping, it has a grimy feel to it. You've got them running through the dirt. The You've got guns and explosions. And no one gets hurt, but it certainly has an edge to the film. And this felt much more sanitised as a film experience. Yes. It felt that it wasn't a parody of the original because it certainly wasn't playing the original for laughs, but it somehow lost that that grimness of it. And part of that is the film was rather... The original was being shot all in Chicago. This one was shot all in Toronto. So you lost a lot of that authenticity of the blues feel. Mm. And part of that, obviously, if you look at like, the character of... Um, Aretha Franklin's gone from working in a soul food kitchen to a Mercedes dealership. So there is a kind of a, a, a change there in their environment. But it just felt to me, I don't want to use the word soulless, but that kind of it lost some of the heart of the film. Mm. And maybe that is more keenly the loss of of uh, Lucy, that, that his anarchic nature and his, his personality is what carried it for. Because in the original, you've got Elwood, very much the straight man, with Jake being more kind of wild man, and here you've got Elwood trying to fill fill that role, and I don't think the Elwood character is built to be that front man. If you see what I'm saying, no, no, no. Um, and I think it struggles from that, and it's it feels like a very different Elwood in this film than we had in the last one. Yeah, I think for me, like it's what I can microcosm of what I feel was wrong with this film is that at the same time they released an N64 video game of it okay well I didn't know that and, and that's awful 
<laughs> yeah, uh, Bluebird 2000 N64 was a 3D platformer in which Elwood has to break out of a prison, rescue uh, a few of his band members, then go to Willie's place to rescue Buster, who finds out he's in a graveyard and it all ends up in a big swamp. And it's kind of the film, and it's kind of those kind of you know late 90s uh, terrible N64 games. But it just felt hollow to me. And that, that to me is one of those things I'm just like... They made a video game tie into this, and if you think about the original film, the idea of having a video game tie-in with that just seems completely out of the question. It's a different league, different world of of media that would link together that. Whereas the second one, it doesn't feel that way. Hmm. I would say that, that there are. I think this cigarette lighter is is a moment. Um, in which something like that you could you could say otherwise um this film seems to me full of moments in which it could have been more than it was and then it very quickly slips back into that sort of commercialized media tie-in fairly safe run through mm. um there was another one you have the the fan coming up to Elwood and saying excitedly, oh, you're Elwood Blues, we want you to come and see a band. Um, and you see um, this guy and Blues Traveller playing um, over a montage, but Elwood's decided he's already taking off. Um, so that was a moment in which the band got to be in the film anyway, even mm. though Elwood had rejected him. And that was kind of an interesting sort of straining of the narrative there um but then immediately you go back to the okay we're going to follow them as they go to these various gigs that they've got to get through so mm. there, there were moments like that that you thought are they doing something interesting there's something good there and then suddenly there isn't you had a sort of moment right at the end when um oh who is it so near peoples or near peoples, the uh, female police officer, um, and she, right at the end in the last concert, um, stands up to stands up at the front and says, "Commander, we come to save you." And he says, oh, "I'm with the band now." And you have a moment when she's going to do something, and you think, "Oh, there could be something interesting at the end of this film. There could be some sort of little subversion." And then she goes, she quite literally shrugs her shoulders and, and sort of falls back into this this easy musical ending. And you think, uh, there are moments like that that are just a little bit disappointing that could have been so much more. Yeah, I, th- I think that's essentially how I feel about that. That kind of narrowed down a little bit. is, is that every stage of this film, they made the safe choice. Exactly, yeah. And the original one, you've got... Carrie Fisher is the great character. Like, she is a violent psychopath who blows up buildings and shoots people because she left at the altar, you know. And our hero, Juliet J. Boys, left someone at the altar. Mm. Um, and so all these characters have a little bit of edge to them. And, you know, like Elwood in the original one clearly can make him hot wire cars and he can, you know, he needs to take a lift. And there's like a, there's an edge to him. With the second one, it just... Everyone made the safe choice. Mm. Um, and... It just kind of it, to me it misses the mark. That being said, I I do 
I do enjoy watching this film because I think the musical numbers are brilliant. Even John Goodman, who I never knew you could sing, there's a great version of Looking for the Fox. Yes. Um, yeah. Obviously, the, 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 the guest stars are, are all brilliant as they are, but like the, the music is still very good. And like I do find so many acts in this watchable. I do like Dan Aykroyd. I do like John Goodman. So I find them watchable, and I find so many parts of this film really watchable. It just kind of... It felt like a TV movie, you know? Mm. It felt like uh, Saved by the Bell does the blues. Rather than the anarchic chaos of the um, original one. Mm. And it it felt... I like to say we like the throwbacks and the homages, but they still felt the need to have them chased by the police and chased by some sort of supremacist right-wing group. Yes. And it became a little bit like, well, either do the same thing again or don't do the same thing again. Yeah. If you see what I'm saying. It's like, it just kind of fell between these two camps. Hmm. There were, there were some... There's some nice sort of touches that put it very firmly in the late nineties. Um, there was one reference to mobile phones, and there was um, well, sort of early mobile phones. There was one. Uh, there's a bit in which there's a focus on Dan Aykroyd using remote control for the car, and mm. I I thought about this. This is a year after you have that scene with Q in James Bond and Tomorrow Never Dies. And you have the first, well, I suppose the the first mainstream use of a a a big car being remote controlled. It it became a it was a big thing in the public consciousness. I remember going to the cinema and seeing that in ninety seven, and then a year later you have them them commenting on that. So there mm. there were there were some really nice touches, and there there were things that located it in the late nineties without necessarily sort of making it feel dated. Why you you mentioned right at the beginning? Why do you think this is called Blues Brothers Two Thousand? Um, I imagine because I think if if, if we all can remember back to the late nineties, everything I think from sort of ninety seven onwards was all about the millennium. Mm. It was, I mean, but Sam and I were seventeen at the time of of the millennium, and it was very much a epic cultural event in a way that I don't think. I will see again in my lifetime. Like it, the, the, until we land the man on Mars, I don't think there'll be other event that's going to unify the world in such a, a met me- And it certainly felt like that was kind of spreading in both directions. Yeah. Uh, I do think. I mean, I, 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 I've always had a, a long-running theory that the reason why that period saw the birth of these remakes, reboots, reimaginings, and long-way sequels is that a lot of the year two thousand rhetoric was about looking back. We look back on these 2,000 years of human history and we look back on the last 1,000 years and the last 40,000 years or whatever. We look back, a lot of the 2,000, this was about looking back and looking forward. It was very much a a sort of a navel-gazing period in history. Mm. And I think that's going to be reflected in our culture, that we are, we're looking back at our history. The year 2000 is all about where have we come from. And so that's going to reflect our movies. I mean, that really saw the birth of these things. So I think Blues Birth 2000 is one of the early examples of that cultural movement of now is the time to take these old ideas and bring them back because as a culture, we are looking back. Mm. 
in the same way if you look at something like the 60s maybe the 50s or 60s the culture at that time was very much looking forward Admittedly, they just come out of the World War. There, there was no romanticism of the past there. And that's when you've got the space race, when you've got retrofuturism. You've got these of, you know, the Jetsons era, you would say. It's all about looking forward mm. um, to a, a bright future. Whereas 2000, for all its, you know, cyberpunky nature, it was very much about looking back, I felt. Yeah. And even, so I think that. Even that word cyberpunk, I mean, it's it focuses on the word punk, ends with the word punk, which mm. is very much rooted in 1977 or 1978, whatever it be on, late 70s. So e- even the, the terms in which you talk about the the culture of that time are themselves looking back. Mm. And I think that's where the 2000 comes in, is that they've got these, it's it's being tied to that moment in time, that moment in history. Mm. Um, that being said, obviously there are release dates and that stuff, so there could be a linking to that. But it feels more that it's about that looking back at culture. And we thought, well, you know what, we want to do a long-winded sequel. Let's tie it all into this moment in which we are looking back at the best films of the last hundred years or whatever. The you know, yes, yeah, that kind of thing. I just wondered whether there was. I wasn't sure. Maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but I I wonder whether there was the film saying something clever about it. Maybe it was commenting all that, or commenting on all that. But it was was saying something about itself. It was sort of slightly commenting, saying, "Actually, we're we're jumping ahead to the millennium already," and. Isn't this a bit ridiculous? And um, we're going to satirise it in in the title of this film. So I, I just wonder whether there was a sort of satirical point to that. Well, I think there is something to be said. That the, 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 the Elwood gives a, an epic speech, probably three quarters of the way through, about continuing the the, the religion of the blues. Let's call it that. Mm. Um, in which he kind of calls out the band for wanting to quit. Yeah. Um, and that we were going to give way to other sorts of music shall we say um, and I, I'm probably if I, if I, hold on I'll see if I can pull up the exact quote he described them as recycled digitally sampled tenor grooves quasi-tent rhythm studio songs about violence legend gangster rap acid pop and simpering saccharine soulless slush so there's very much a kind of rejection of the modern era mm. from the blues and we mentioned last time that the, the even in the original one in the 80s they were still men out of time they were still from a different era yeah um, and it's more it's more text here than, than subtext, but it's certainly um, there's an element of not rejection of the future, but the idea that it's important to embrace our history and embrace our past as we move forward. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. You know, it, 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 in that speech, he does reference the millennium. He, he does say the seven decades leading up to the millennium. Exactly. Right, Rob, what do you have in the way of recommendations? So, week? now, the problem we have over the franchise um, episodes is we kind of blow our uh, our good recommendations the first week sometimes. Mm. So I've kind of got two recommendations this week, um, following a similar theme from last week. So my first recommendation is the 1986 film, The Three Amigos. Uh, oh. John Landis John Lynch came back to direct, direct the people uh, 2000, and he directed Three Amigos back in the day. Excuse me it, while I quickly Google another, because that was one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carry on. 
<laughs> it tells the story of three actors who play the three amigos on TV who get called to a small village, a Mexican village, to help out. Um, but they, the village believe that they are really heroes and through the course of the film are forced to become really heroes. It's a well-worn trope. This is one of the very first examples of it. It's got Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, Martin Short as the three leads. It's just bloody funny, really. It has quotes and and little moments that I still use in conversation to this day. It's yeah. If you haven't seen it, you should. My second recommendation is a 1993 film um, called Matinee. I've taken the, the John Goodman link as the new the new actor in the film. I've taken him, and this is a film set in, made in '93, set in the set in the Cuban Missile Crisis, about a I'd call a B movie promoter, played by John Goodman, who brings. Uh, his film Mant, half man, half ant, to a uh, a Floridian town, and it's a story of a, a young boy and his loves in amongst this growing nuclear panic set amongst this sort of love of Hollywood and these kind of creature features. It's a very sort of confused pitch, I will grant you, but it is funny. It is sweet. It's John Goodman. On top form as as Lawrence Woolsey, the uh, the f- Hollywood p- promoter, it's kind of a bit not unknown, but it's often one people forget about. Um, and it has a film called Mant in it, half man, half ant. Right. Okay. Well, you you haven't gone for both of mine, which is good. Um, my my two this week. Um. The one I haven't swiftly googled is um, I I feel it would be remiss of us to um, go for two weeks of films with Dan Aykroyd in and not mention Ghostbusters. Um, And I think that the reason this would be an excellent recommendation for this week, not just because it's it's brilliant, um, is that um, it's something that you're talking about. Um, in the course of today's discussion, you were saying that Dan Aykroyd is not entirely the right character in this film. You have no. him as the straight man in the first one, and then suddenly he's the leading man, and the where does the comedy come from? It's a bit confused. Um, so I'd go to a, a film in which Dan Aykroyd is very definitely on excellent form. Um, not that he isn't on on brilliant form generally, but the the role allows him to be in Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Um, my second film um, is another John Landis film, um, not the Three Amigos. Um, we'll go Sorry back about that. A, little, <laughs> a little bit earlier than that, um, and this is actually a film starring someone from last week, although he's not in this. Significantly, not in uh, the Blues Brothers two thousand. Uh, stars John Belushi, among others, is 1978's National Lampoon's Animal House. It's a classic. Well, there we go. Uh, if, you, if you will insist on stealing things from me, then I have to not be, uh, not go deep at all and just be obvious. So that's my my second obvious pick for the week. Uh, that's fine. Both of those are 
modern classics of cinema. Basically, they are they are holy cows of cinema, and I can't uh, I can't tear away from you. Good. So, Sam, having having completed the the very short franchise of Blues Brothers, what's next week? Right. Um. Well, we are going to go for one one of my favourite fr- franchises, and we can we will we can and we will talk a lot about the the many problems with this set of films, but there are so many things to love about these films. Um, and this is probably the set of films I've watched and rewatched more than any others. Um, and not to say they're my favourites, but they are they are incredibly watchable. Um, and we will start off um, next week with the first Indiana Jones film. Amazing. Uh, brilliant I will, I will see you guys then if you want to find us on Twitter you can find me at Rob Kaiju you can find me at life underscore academic or you can find both of us at Prestige Podcast until then we will see you next week bye Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr. Arr.